If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, and I want to go back up to verse 15. That's where we finished last week, and just incorporate it uh, with the remainder of the teaching. Nathan the prophet reveals David's sin. We want to look at part two. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, King David faced one of his greatest challenges in the Lord. We know that in chapter 11, David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to cover his sin, he had her husband, uh, Uriah, killed. In chapter 12 now, God, in his amazing grace, sends Nathan the prophet to David. He is the prophet of Israel at the time. And he comes to David with a parable. And we know that David's sin is exposed. The challenge David brought upon himself. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And so the, rem the remainder of 2 Samuel chapter 12, David will witness firsthand the results of his sin. Remember that there are consequences uh, to sin, especially if we ignore, I did not sin, it was not that bad, God will forgive me. There has to be repentance, and David has to come to that place. He, he covers his sin, that's what he thought. This is why God sends Nathan the prophet. David needed to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord was saying. In Hebrews chapter 2, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 17. Uh, I want you to study that when you get home tonight. It, it speaks about the discipline of God. God disciplines those that he loves. And he's going to quote a scripture out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. But I just wanted to read to you what it tells us in the scriptures Verses 5 and 6. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and whom he scourges, every son whom he receives. That's the quote, right from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And so he goes right into that book of Hebrews there, and as an earthly father chastens his children, and so a heavenly father has to chasten his children. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, don't raise your hand tonight, uh, but we've been spanked many times. We have to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And, you know, back in the day when your dad spanked you or your mom spanked you, my mom spanked us, we laughed. My dad spanked us, he meant business. It hurt. He always used the belt, and he always made us bend over and hold our ankles. And if you cried, you got more. And so you didn't cry until he left. And then if he heard you crying, you got more. And so you went to the room, buried your head in, in, in the pillow, and then you screamed. <laughs> Discipline. And I've shared it many times. When they whip you back here, and it means business, it registers up here. 
And trust me, it wasn't many whippings I got from my dad, but the ones I got, I deserved and I needed them, and it straightened me out. Well, my mom, bless her heart, she tried to hit you with a broom and, and hit you with her chancla. And, you know, uh, we, Mom, what are you doing, Mom? Yeah. Bless her heart. David needs to take heed. And there's the blessing. When God chastens you, we have a choice. Uh, we can run to him or we can run from him. And so it's important as we look at the study here tonight. So we want to look at verses 15 through 31. And the caption says the consequences of sin. And then David's son dies. Look at verse 15. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. This is Bathsheba, obviously. And it became ill. Radical statement. I don't understand the logic other than uh, the consequences of sin. And I, I know we have all the questions, and, and trust me, they've come to me with the questions through the years. Well, why would God allow that? Well, you, let's take a look at David. Why did David sin? As the consequences of sin can be very great sometimes, very harmful, very hurtful. And the best we can do is go to Scripture, and I'm going to give you a few more again. In Isaiah 55, verses 7 through, through 9, and basically in a nutshell, we read them last week, uh, God to Israel. He was speaking to the nation of Israel. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. And this is the sovereignty of God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, uh, we know that all things work together for good to those who are, uh, love God and all who are the called according to his purpose. And so God's plan is righteous. And yet sometimes it's understandable and ununderstandable. I mean, it is a tough place to be when God chastens those that he loves. But yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, Paul speaking to the church at, at Corinth, and he speaks about trials, he speaks about testings, he speaks about being tried through the fire, basically. No trial has ever overtaken you that is common to man. What happens to you has happened to others. God is faithful who will never give you any more than you can handle. And yet, I've lifted up my hands and said, Lord, I can't take it no more. You've lifted up your hands and you said, Lord, I can't, I can't take it no more. You, you see, when God chastens those that he loves, it's not my call. It's not your call. It's called the sovereignty of God. Verses 16 and 17 now. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and, and David fasted and went and lied down all night on the ground. Now, rightfully so, this is David. Any one of us would do that for our child. In verse 17, and so the elders of the house arose, and they went to him uh, to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat any food with them. Now, the death of the infant child here is not yet concerning David and Bathsheba's sin. And, and yet, it wasn't the child's sin. He's still alive at this point. David knows it. 
but as a husband, as a father. And here's the key. He comes to prayer and fasting. What about David's feelings? What about his heart? What about his concern, his passion? And I'm thinking about Bathsheba. He goes to his private chamber. That's what the scripture says. He, he goes into this place and he, it, it's the closet area. And David's lying on, uh, upon the earth on the ground, on the floor, in his chamber room. I believe that he's prostrated before the Lord. And if you've never been to that place when you meant business with God, whatever you're going through, and you just lie down on the floor and you stretch out, and your head's buried and you're just crying out to God. It can be done on your knees. It can be done on a sitting position. God hears your cry. He's looking at your heart. Now, when you fast and pray, is it the purpose of changing God's heart? Because you can't go there. But the purpose of fasting and praying is to comply with the heart of God, to comply with God's will. What is it that you want through this? Lord, I'm pleading for this. Because at the end, at the conclusion, David seems to know that the answer was right. Now, I want to give you two New Testament passages. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus said, Go into your closet, your private secret place, and pray to the Lord. And then he says, pray in secret. There's time of corporate prayer as we have here. Uh, there's time that Mary and I pray together. Uh, there's time that we gather here uh, on Sunday mornings and we pray as a body of Christ. As the leadership comes. There's a time on Friday morning that we come and we pray. But this is individual, you and God. Not you and your spouse, you and your girlfriend or boyfriend. This is you and God. And you have time with him. And you cry out to him. You empty yourselves. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus, uh, on prayer, he says, Ask, seek, and knock. And we know the Greek it says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And what is it that David was asking uh, through prayer and through fasting? Number one, there has to be, don't just come to the Lord and pray. There has to be confession. And I can honestly tell you, David was emptying himself. And Lord, if I forgot anything, please bring it to my attention. And so as David empties of himself, then there's time to worship and to praise the Lord and to thank him. And then David, my take is that he said, Lord, what is your will, not mine? I think it is sad when we see ministries today that tell you, you tell God what to do. That's basically what they're saying. Listen, Lord, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. And I'm claiming it. I got the scriptures. And Lord, here's the other prayer. I don't want to be sick. Oh, those doctrines don't work. It's obvious they don't work. There's Christians at, at Mesilla Valley Hospital. There's Christians at Mesilla Valley Memorial. There's Christians at Mountain View. I've been there. You've been there, some of you, to pray for them. And so that doctrine doesn't hold water. 
Are there poor Christians? There's poor Christians in this community. We don't have to go to what is. And so the doctrine doesn't hold up. And I'm talking about Christians. The poor you're always going to have with you, Jesus said. And the Old Testament speaks about, you know, reaching out to the orphans and, and reaching out to the, uh, the fatherless and such. And so it's very important. The widows were taken care of. And so here's David crying out to the Lord. And the reason I'm giving you this short introduction about him emptying of himself and really praying, seeking God's will, because he seems to know it at the end. Once he knows the child is, has gone home to be with the Lord, he gets up. And his men are fearful of him. Look at verse 18 now. And on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child did die. And the servants of David were afraid uh, to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while uh, the child was alive, we spoke to him, but he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead now? He, he, might, he might do some harm. And I think this, he, he might do some harm to himself or he might do some harm to us. David has been deep in prayer and fasting. No food. He probably didn't bathe for a week. No communication. They came and talked to him, but there's nothing that said that he spoke back to them. They did not dare bother him. But now the child is dead. They feared David. They still haven't told him nothing. David sees their actions. David sees their demeanor. Uh, David sees them whispering. And David knows them. But I want you to see something about fasting. It's very important. A lot of people have a lot of motives when they fast. And bottom line, this is what I've gathered through the years because I've done it way back in the day. I want to change God's direction. I don't want to conform to what his will is for my life. You see, I have a better idea. And yet, he's almighty God. Lord, what is it? What's your will? David took the chastening. He received the chastening. It's when we, rebuke, when we rebuke the chastening, we get angry about the chastening, and then if that's God, I'm not going to serve him no more. The devil won. Man, I want to run to God. I want to run to God. It's that logic again. We've taught it many times. When, when the sheep would wander and the shepherd would get the sheep back, break a leg if the, that same sheep was always doing it. Eventually, you've got to break the leg, and then you put the, the sheep over the, the neck of the shepherd. What's the concept? That sheep needs the shepherd now. And trust me, he'll never run again. Never. David has been praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. Listen to this, seven days. It, it wasn't just a, a, a 20 minute prayer. And I know you because you're just like me. I, I, I said, Lord, I'm going to give you an hour today. And it just seems like 10 minutes go by and you go, oh, it's got to be an hour. And we're more concerned about the time than spending the time with God. Spending the time with God. And, and listen, there's different positions to pray. You can pray walking. You can pray sitting. You can pray kneeling. 
Uh, you can pray prostrated on the floor. Uh, you can walk, whatever you want to do. Uh, but it's not the position of the body, but it's the place of the heart. Is the heart in tune with God. And so the child is dead. In verse 19, David still doesn't know, but he gets the picture from the guys, his servants. And when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servant, is the child dead? I believe that David spoke those words with a very commanding voice. They were whispering, is the child dead? And they had to respond to him. And they said, he is dead. Now, I believe that David already knew in his heart. But he still prayed. The number seven is the number of God. We see that throughout scripture. God always works in multiples of seven. It's, it's a, uh, Chuck Missler does this whole in-depth study on sevens, you know. It'll drive you up a tree, Chuck Missler will. But you, you go around and look at what God does. Everything has to do with multiples of sevens. Here in verse 19, the, the servants said nothing to David. They feared him. They, they were concerned for him. They were concerned for themselves. And rightfully so, a situation such as David uh, has never been easy. It's never easy. Uh, people are human. Uh, we're frail by nature. We're vulnerable. And, and everybody reacts differently uh, when there's death in the camp. Now, you know, I, I, my mom and dad passed away. I did the funerals. And uh, Mary's dad passed away. I did the funerals. And, and you know, we go through the point of, the place of grieving. I know some of you, we've been with you when your loved ones die, and, and it's hard, it's tough. But as God comforts you, as God strengthens you, as God encourages you, and God consoles you, and he does, if I truly seek him, he will give you, and we're going to quote the scripture in a minute, uh, the peace that passes all understanding. Our family members back home you know, they were talking about my mom that, you know, how come, you know, Hortensia's not weeping and wailing and because that's a Hispanic culture. Years ago, back home, uh, I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old, but I can still remember uh, there was a young man in the city and uh, it, our family knew him and, and such and he was messing around with the gangs. And there was a dance uh, there in the community where the, the dances were always held. And there's always trouble at these dances. And lo and behold, him and his sister were there. And uh, guns were not popular then, but rifles were for hunting. And he had a rifle in the car, went to get it. And then somebody pulled it. You know how that, boom. And he was shot. If you go there today, the curb is still there. And when they put the curb fresh, he put his name there. I never forgot that. Anyway, we went to the funeral and such. I'm 10, 12 years old, whatever it might be. 
In those days, they always lowered the caskets. Remember that? They stopped doing it. They try not to. They wait for you to leave because people freak out. And as the casket was going down, the sister that was with him at the dance, she, she was just so lost out of it because that was her brother. And she took him to the dance. And naturally, she blamed herself. And yet it was a gang thing. And as the casket was going down, she dove into the casket. And I mean, I've seen that. And I mean, it freaked me out. But people can't handle death. It's a very tough place to be. But when you know where your loved one has gone, it eases the pressure. It still doesn't take care of it. There's a time. There's a time. There's a time that we have to grieve. There's a time that we have to go through it. And so David had seven days in prayer and fasting. I believe God prepared his heart. There are so many scriptures in the area where God comforts us. I'm going to give you a few. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, I want you to write them down because you never know. You're going to have to share them with somebody. Isaiah 41, verse 10, and God's assurance to the nation of Israel. And this, you got to read the context, but I'm just giving you the one verse. Uh, Isaiah tells the nation of Israel, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. He goes, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is a God of all comfort. And I'll tell you what, I always encourage people, whatever you're going through, and especially a death uh, of a loved one, go through the Psalms. The Psalms just, if you're truly reading the Psalms and letting God minister to you, uh, they will melt your heart. And as you see David in the Psalms, he's, he's coming out. Lord, they're after me. Lord, my enemies. Lord, break their cheekbones. Lord, help me. And then at the end of the Psalm, David's coming out of it. Comforted by the Lord. I thank God for the Psalms. They're good. Second uh, Chronicles, this is one of my favorites. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. You have to read the context, all of it. Uh, King Jehoshaphat is in a major battle with the Ammonites, the Moabites, and then there was other ites, and they're coming against them. And, and Jehoshaphat goes to the nation of Israel and said, we got to pray. And he prays, and he seeks the Lord. And listen to the Lord's response. Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, he says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, this is a battle zone. This is a war zone. It was not a death situation, but the scriptures of the comforting of the Lord are always there, and they minister to my heart, and that's what they're meant to be. It's a time that God comforts through Scripture. It's a time that God consoles to Scripture. It's a time that God encourages through Scripture. And that same word encompasses all those words. It's a time, listen, that God ministers to your heart. 
God ministers to my heart. And I'll tell you, I've had people tell me, because I've had it happen in my own life, it's like God lifts the burden. It's like a weight that's taken up from you. It's like something that's keeping you down. And that's where the enemy wants you to be. God wants to give you joy through this. God wants to take you through this. Again, he said he'll never give us any more than we can handle. But at the time, it's painful. It's a year or two later sometimes you go, all right, now I see it. But at the moment, it's a very difficult place to be. Israel was surrounded by the enemies. Jehoshaphat was sure they were going to be overrun. And that's the nation of Israel. They would turn to God, and God would protect them. Scripture says God's going to protect them again. Now, <laughs> David has a repented heart. And so God's working with David. Look at verse 20. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, uh, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. He just spent seven days of prayer and worship and praise, crying out to God. He goes right back. God had already prepared his heart, I believe. And then he went to his own house, and when he had requested, they set food before him, and he did eat. And church, I put this down in my own notes. You can only do this when you have spent time with the Lord. When you have spent time with the Lord. And again, I want you to write these down. It starts with Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 10. Uh, God's promise to Moses, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then that promise, uh, Moses takes it to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, now David has experienced this. He shares it with his son, Solomon. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul picks it up in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Paul takes the same promise to the Hebrew believers. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now the Hebrew believers would know the Old Testament. And so, when people tell you, I don't like to read the Old Testament, it's too boring, it, it's, too, it's too long, it's too many books, and like Isaiah, come on, 66 chapters. But I tell you what, those of you that have been coming on Wednesday nights uh, the last couple of years, you know that uh, the Psalms, and I mean, the Old Testament period, it speaks to you, it ministers to you. If you, if you let God allow the, the Holy Spirit to minister to you, he will. He will. Now, if you have a computer, I want you to Google when you go home, the Lord is my strength. There's a ton of scriptures, but I, this is the one I always like. In Psalm 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices with my song. I will praise him. And what are the Psalms? But they're songs unto the Lord. Songs unto the Lord. And if you're having a hard time and you're grieving and you're hurting, whatever it is, and you're not able to read, it's tough, get a hold of some good worship. Good worship. 
old school worship. You like the hymns? Go for the hymns. I like the old Maranatha music. I like it. And, and you know, I want to fly away once in a while. I like, I like that song. Songs that are meaningful. Songs that speak about the blood of Christ. Songs that speak about the cross. Songs that, that speak of his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's important to me. I hope it's important to you. David has been prepared the last seven days. Prayer and worship, prayer and worship. You know what I appreciate about David? He, he didn't have the distractions that we have. He didn't have a watch. He didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have an iPad and knee pad and the rest of the pads. It's just him and the Lord. But distractions will come. Distractions will come. When you pray, get away from everything possible. And then trust me, get away from your phone. And even then, have your Bible there, but have a little uh, notebook so you can write because thoughts are going to come. And they're going to bug you. You need to do this. You need to do that. Write it down and then go back to prayer. The enemy will use everything to distract you. Look at verse 21. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and you wept for a child while he was alive. But when uh, the child died, you arose and you ate food. Unnatural what David did. But God prepared his heart the last seven days. The men, his servants, they didn't get it. Now I want you to turn to this passage. Go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And by the way, those uh, we, we spoke about in Matthew concerning prayer. And it was a part of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, how God gives us instruction. He's talking to the body of Christ. And so here's Paul the Apostle and if anybody had anxieties, if anybody had anxiousness, times of, uh, of worry and times of being fearful, this was Paul the Apostle. So he's writing to the church at Philippi in verse, uh, chapter 4, look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ or through Christ Jesus. The hurts, the pains, the aches, the questions. God will bring, he will bring healing. It doesn't happen overnight. David, seven days, he went through it. He pleaded with God. He begged God. I asked you, Lord, take it out on me, Lord, not my child. The child had nothing to do with it. Again, God does things that I don't understand. God does things that you don't understand. But look at the word anxious again in the Greek. Uh, be not worried. Be not fearful. Be not troubled. Be not agitated. Be not disturbed for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Lord, I thank you. Whatever the answered prayer is going to be, Lord, I thank you. It's a tough place. It's a tough place. But I've seen Christians that have lost loved ones, and 
and they bounce back quick. Oh, it's still there, especially next year when it's the anniversary, and uh, especially we hear the horror stories. You know, my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my dad, they died on Christmas Day. They died on New Year's Day. You know, they died on 4th of July. And when everybody else is celebrating, uh, it comes back to you, the pain, the pain. Mary's grandma, she didn't die on, on Christmas Day, but it was right close in the month of December, and it always brings back the memory. And when Christmas came, it, it was a bummer that Christmas. Those things happen. They're part of, uh, of the grieving process. I mean, when Lazarus had passed, the, the sister said, Jesus, you should have been here. But Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a plan. Four days in the grave, Lazarus come forth. I always like to tease, Lazarus wasn't smiling when he came out. Thanks a lot, Mary and Martha. I'll get you guys later. He was in paradise. He had to come back. Look at verse 22 now. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be generous to me that the child might live? And so through, so through prayer and fasting, David knew this. Through prayer and fasting, David knew this. Look at verse 23. It just goes together. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And please notice this. Very important here. But I shall go to him. But I shall go to him. David believed in the resurrection. But he shall not return to me. Uh, here is proof to me that David sought the Lord's will. David says, when I, pressed, when I, when I prayed and fasted, I asked the Lord. God spoke to him. God ministered to him. And so he says in his prayer, who knows, but that the Lord would be gracious, the Lord would be merciful, the Lord would pour out his kindness and the child would live. And this shows me that David knew what Nathan the prophet said. Let me give you the verses. I'm going to just uh, give them to you. Back in verse 10, David's acknowledging that uh, what Nathan had said in verse 10, he spoke about a sword uh, that killed Uriah. The Ammonites killed him. Uh, a sword would not, would pierce the, David's family. And real quick, I, I shared last week Absalom, but I want to give you the other brothers also. Amnon was the first one that died. And then Absalom, and then Adonijah. Adonijah does not want Solomon to be the king tries twice to dethrone him, and eventually he dies. Amnon raped Absalom's half-sister. And so the sword didn't leave. But in verse 13, Nathan said to David, you will not die. That was the promise. The judgment was not going to come on David. Your sins are forgiven, David. In verse 14, but the child would die. But David was hoping and praying and seeking the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. Did he want to change the mind of God? No. He wanted God's will, I believe. 
But in all reality, when I pray, I'm hoping, I'm praying that God does have another avenue. So David knew. And again, in just taking notes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, the consequences of sin, yet it's a radical statement because the child had nothing to do with this, but he's in heaven. Reeling off of verse 23 again at the bottom, David believed in the resurrection. I shall go to him. I shall go to him. When you study Old Testament passages of the resurrection, uh, Job chapter 14 and Job chapter 19, I, I believe those are verses that, or chapters that show you. And here, as David is sharing out of verse 23, David believed in the resurrection. You know, I believe that all babies that die, they're born with Adamic sin, but all babies that die, they're being aborted, uh, crib death, miscarriages. They're in heaven. It's just tough for us because we haven't got there yet. But if we're truly born again to the Holy Spirit, we'll see that son, we'll see that daughter, we'll see them again one day. David reunited. Now, we come to the conclusion, and Solomon is born. And again, I want you to see the blessings still come. In verse 23, verse 25, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in to her and lay with her. And so she bore a son and called his name Solomon. And it says, now the Lord loved him. You see, if you're a non-believer, scriptures like this just get a hold of you. Because a non-believer will be listening to you. They're not born again of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand and then you bring up a passage like that, they're going to st stop right there. See? How could God love him again? Years ago when I was watching um, Phil Donahue on TV, some of you don't even know who he is. Uh, he's like in his 90s now. There was a person on the show, and it was a Christian, and then, he set her up. He says, would you sing the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me? Stop. I remember that. He says, stop right there. See, I, 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 I don't like that. I don't like that. So who do you think you are? We're all a wretch until God saves us. And even after I'm saved, I'm a saved wretch. That's all I am. Think about it. <laughs> but he... See, they want to argue that point all the time, all the time. Now, look at verse 25. And by the way, Solomon's born, right? <laughs> We're going to get to Solomon. 700 wives, 300 concubines. He made Walmart or Wal what's the name of those carts? Uh, I forgot those cards we all buy. Hellmart. Yeah, see, Walgreens. <laughs> Walmart cards. Hallmark cards. <laughs> well, they sell them at Walmart too, see. Now, look at verse 25. His name is Solomon, but listen to the Hebrew name. 
and he sent word by the hand of Nathan, the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. God shows us that in his infinite tender mercy, loving, compassionate, his love, listen to me, for the backslider, his love for the sinner. God never holds grudges. I don't care what sin you've done. As long as you come to repentance. One of my commentaries says God does not hold grudges against a repentant sinner. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Though the effects of sin may linger, obviously, Here's some questions that another commentary brought forth that just ministered to me. Why did God spare David's life? Question. Why did God spare David's throne? Another question. Why did God allow David and Bathsheba to marry? Another question. Listen to this. Why did God allow David and Bathsheba to have another child? Another question, why did God choose that child to be David's successor as king of Israel? And yet Adonijah tried to take it twice. Listen to this, why did God choose that child to be the ancestors in the line of the Messiah, including Bathsheba? Because of God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness when a sinner comes to repentance. Listen, I struggled with it long enough back in the day. I was elated that God saved me. But then he wanted to put me in the ministry. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know. But Lord, I know. You think God picks, you know, chooses perfect people? No way. He saved the wretch like me. He saved the wretch like you. That's the God that we serve. People may not forgive you. Listen to this. You may receive, uh, you may refuse, excuse me, to believe that you are forgiven. I've seen so many people because, Pastor Bob, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. It's under the cross. It's covered by the blood of the Lamb. If I confess, then he's going to forgive. If it's truly from the heart, and that's where David was. David asked for forgiveness, and he got it, but there was consequences. And again, in, in Romans 10, 13, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I think sometimes people themselves make salvation a very hard issue. Now, trust me, you've got to follow God. Trust me, you've got to obey his word. And you don't just raise your hand or you don't just come up the sawdust trail, as Billy Sunday said. Or you don't just go to a harvest crusade or, or a, an old Billy Graham crusade or, uh, you know, Samaritan's Purse. There has to be commitment. There's a walk. There's a walk after. And it's a walk of righteousness. It's a walk of holiness. It's a walk in, in Christ. I walked in the world long enough. You did too. And so now I want to walk in Christ. And how do I know how to walk in Christ? But the word of God tells me. 
The Word of God tells me everything I need to know. As I've shared many times, nobody told me to stop doing this, stop doing that. As I read, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Remember what started David's problem? He, was, he didn't go to the battle uh, of Rabbah. And so now that battle is going to take place finally. And, and so uh, this is covered in the Chronicles in chapter 20. Rabbah is captured. Look at verse 26. Now Joab fought against Rabbah, uh, uh, the people of Amnon, and took the royal city. Joab took the victory. Should have been David. But remember, he was busy with Bathsheba. In verse 27, and Joab uh, sent messengers to David and, and said, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have taken the city, uh, the city's water supplies. So in the victories, they always took the spoils. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city, and it's called after my name. I see a lot of respect here by Joab as David's captain. Cities were usually named after uh, the conquerors, but it should have been David, the king. And so Joab asked David, come and finish the job. Evidently, uh, some scholars believe there was a citadel, which would have been the fortified place. That wasn't taken yet, but David has to come. And so look at verse 29. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and took it. Now it's 100% taken. In verse 30, then he took their, their king's crown, listen to this, from his head. It weighed, uh, its, its weight was a talent of gold, and it had precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he, bought, he brought out the spoils of the city in great abundance. And David would always share the wealth with everybody. Rabbah obviously was a wealthy city. Uh, listen, in the New Living Translation, it says that the crown weighed 75 pounds. Guys, remember the football helmets, the old days? Man, your neck was this big, and, and it goes like that. The abundance of the spoils. God blessed David. God blessed David, but David committed adultery. David committed sin, and then he killed Uriah. And remember how many times he tried to uh, get him to lie with his wife? Finally, and this always gets me. Here, here's a, a letter for Joab. Take it. And it was Uriah's death certificate. Take him to the hottest part of the battle. That's why the sword that took care of Uriah was going to follow David's family. David repented. If you didn't take the verses down last week, Psalm 32, it's a psalm of repentance. Psalm 51, psalm of repentance. Psalm uh, 103, psalm of repentance. The conclusion, and he brought out the people who were in it, speaking of the people in Rabbah, and he put them uh, to work with the saws and the irons, the picks, the irons, the, uh, the axes and such, and made them cross over uh, to the brickwork. So he did all the, the city of the people of Amnon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. David didn't kill off the people like a lot of kings would do when they would go in. And instead, David uses them, makes them servants. Some of your commentaries said made them slaves. 
David did not kill them off or he did not maim them. He used them. Made them to build the city. Uh, somebody had to do the work. And so David, but think about it, they had to watch them. And so David was shrewd. David had a lot of style, but he was a sinner. He was a sinner. That's why we can identify with David. That's why. Two things that, that bugged me because I was a sinner, and yet God was calling me into the ministry And when I studied the life of David. And then I was already, you know, in my 30s, and I thought all these guys at church that are in their 20s, uh, you know, use all these young guys. You don't want this guy. I, I, I have three children. I have house and bills and stuff. And God said, no, I'm going to use you. And when I read Moses was used at 75, I go, man, I'm a young whippersnapper compared to that. <laughs> God wants to use each and every one of us. It doesn't matter. Pastor Charlie had his career all set in place. He's going to be a music director. He already was. His music is his passion, and he was going to excel. Very brilliant man, that Charlie. And when the Lord told me, give him the Bible study from El Paso, I go, Lord, he's got his career. That's the way I thought about it. And then Charlie went to prayer, and he accepted it. Then his wife, she did not like me for a while. <laughs> I says, Sessie, I'm only telling Charlie what the Lord's telling me. Now we laugh about it. God looks at the education, not necessarily. God looks at uneducated, not necessarily. God looks at the poor, no. The rich, no. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, what a blessing it is to study the life of David, uh, to see his errors, to see uh, his problems, to see uh, his hang-ups, to see his sin. And yet, Lord, a man after your own heart. But we see David with a repented heart. We see David with a heart after your heart. We see David, a man of prayer a man of fasting, a man that would seek God until he got an answer. It seems to me that when the seven days were over, David knew. When he saw his servants whispering, he knew. And he asked them blatantly, is the child dead? Yes. Lord, help us to glean from David's mistakes and David's triumphs, Lord. And Father, we pray for the body of Christ. Uh, we look forward to uh, Sunday morning as Joe Carey will come and share with us concerning the ministry towards the Muslims and, and how to minister to them and how to pray uh, to them. And Lord, Joe, was <laughs> he had a beautiful job with, uh, in California in management. You took him out of there and everybody thought he was crazy. Lord, you're looking for availability. Hearts that will say, here am I, send me. And so, Lord, go before us. Bless your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.